How do you do? The Box Office Pulp Board feels it would be a little unkind to present this podcast without just a word of friendly warning. We're about to unfold a cinematic commentary track, made by a group of men who sought to create a podcast after their own ravings, without reckoning upon God. It is one of the strangest tales ever told. It deals with three great mysteries of the internet, analysis, observation, and deconstruction. I think it will thrill you. It may shock you. It might even horrify you. So if any of you feel you'd not care to subject your nerves to such a strain, now's your chance to... Well, we've warned you. Now, to pause and refresh. For your convenience, we have an attractive refreshment stand in the lobby, with buttered popcorn, golden good and hot from the popper, your favorite candies, wholesome and rich, plus delicious Dr. Pepper, so bright and bracing with a tang and tingle unmatched by any other beverage. Enjoy an ice-cold Dr. Pepper at our beverage stand right now, and then return to fully appreciate this bop and a movie commentary track. Enjoy. Everybody likes to make something special out of a special day. So we fell back on something as old as the pilgrims, toting up the common, ordinary blessings that we had to be thankful for. I am thankful for getting plenty to eat all the time, with extras that count, like cookies and milk after school. And if I didn't live in a country where there was plenty to go around, golly! I am thankful for being able to get an education, for living where schools, all schools, open their doors to a guy who wants to learn. And I'm thankful for all the things our American system makes possible for the Smiths and the Browns, for washing machines, and a telephone to call the doctor when one of the family is sick. And I'm thankful for the thing that makes this house our home. Fucking space aliens! Hello, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to Box Office Ball, your one-stop podcast for movies, madness, and moxie. Tonight is a special treat. We actually have our co-host Mike back with us after an extended absence. We don't have to talk tremors anymore. We can do other things. Oh, and oh. Uh, speaking of other things, we're celebrating Thanksgiving this year with Alien Abduction Incident at Lake County. I'm your host, Cody. Joining me today for this bop in a movie are my co-host, Mike. We already introduced you, but actually say hello, Mike. Hi. But we're at now we're out of we're out of sync. You you introduced me earlier and then you circled back around. Also, I'm really taken that you it. I thought you were just going to say we're going to celebrate Thanksgiving with UFO abductions. <laughs> How do I you eat mashed potatoes, go. Jamie? I mean, lumpy always. See, you and can then tell. we all just have a PTSD flashback because of syrup. <laughs> Mike, you can tell you're rusty because you introduced Jamie before I could introduce Jamie. So now, I, now the whole thing with is the joke uh, of it being out of sync. It's it's. Oh jeez, I experienced all podcasts at one point. Ah. <laughs> oh, see, this is perfect. This is a perfect Thanksgiving celebration. We're all angry and don't like being around one <laughs> in record time too. This is amazing. This podcast is done. Ugh. Folks, before we actually start this commentary, I have a smorgasbord of drinks I need to get through, and they're only getting warmer because we have taken a long time to start this episode up. So I'm going to jump into that right now. And like I said, drinks 
plural. Instead of a one uh -huh. specific holiday drink, we're having three because, you know, this is for Thanksgiving. And, uh, you know, instead of celebrating a, with with family and spreading COVID, you should just be alone drinking. So here, here's some is ideas. This like, is this your version of having like more than one pie at a time? Ooh, baby. Like this is your, your slice of pecan, your slice of pumpkin, your slice of apple. That would have been great. I should have I should have done pie themed drinks. Damn. No, I thought you were just gonna say pies, and you'd just be you eating pies throughout the entire. Pie? Film. That would have been great too. I would have <laughs> that loved that. That would have actually been like, kind hey, of folks, awesome. I mean, not for the sound, but for, you'd been having a good time of it. Hmm. <laughs> I like this idea. I'm gonna save this for the next time we think of doing a Thanksgiving movie. Uh. Folks, we're starting off with the appetizer, which is the alien brain hemorrhage. This is a shot uh, I think we've all seen at college parties. It's it's pretty common. Anyways, uh, we'll get more into it in a second. But what you're going to need is a shot glass, one ounce of peach schnapps, a half ounce of Irish cream, a splash of blue croco, and a splash of grenadine. So one, uh, pour the peach schnapps into your shot glass. Two, uh... Using a spoon, layer in the Irish cream. You want to pour that gently so it doesn't all just sink right to the bottom of the shot. You want it as a nice floating mass of cream on top of the peach. Next up, uh, take the cap of the grenadine bottle and just kind of fill that up with the grenadine and then put a couple of drops into the shot. It'll, it'll drip through the cream and kind of make little weird tendrils down into the shot itself. Then do the same with the blue Caraco and, and same deal. It'll sink through the top of the cream. You'll still have a layer of cream at the top, but you'll have a kind of weird blob in the middle, kind of stretching towards the bottom of the shot. The brain hemorrhage. So yeah, uh, it's it's gone by a bunch of different names. Some people call them like abortions. Uh, there, there's different makes for this too. Some people put Wait, a little bit of lemon in that. there. I had no good way to segue into it. I mean, it's out there. Uh, some people put a little bit of lemon in there to make it curdle more, to make this even more gross as you drink it. It's a novelty shot, so that's just how it is. This one is... Yeah, that's what they call a back alley abortion. Oh, there's pro that's probably a different drink. Anyways, since this is a shot, I'm going to take this now before moving on to the rest of the drinks. Mm, that tastes like a black dahlia abortion. <laughs> oh, it's not a bad shot, but I have had this sitting out for about... Oh, Motherfucker, God, we an told you now. to refrigerate it. It wouldn't have stopped the curdling, Mike. <laughs> So the texture, going to be a little funky, but that's half the fun. Tastes pretty good. That Irish cream really sells it. I love that stuff. Except for the curdling. That was actually bad. So it's, I don't know what to think anymore. Moving on. The main course, Saints and Strangers. So what you're going to need for this one is a martini glass, two ounces of vodka, two ounces of grapefruit juice, an ounce and a half of pomegranate liqueur, a half ounce of sweet French vermouth, a half ounce of balsamic vinegar, and a quarter ounce of cranberry juice. So take all of those ingredients, put them into a shaker, fill it with ice, and just shake until it's chilled, strain into a martini glass, garnish with uh, like three cranberries on a pick, maybe sprinkle some orange zest on top, and there you go. There's not a lot of cranberry in this one, but there's enough to count, and it's not Thanksgiving without cranberry, is my feeling. Personally, I'm a big fan of the stuff that comes out of a can, that big gelatinous block. Honestly, part of my f f uh, favorite part of the holiday. I'm going to be honest, you had me at gelatinous block. Hmm. You know, I'm making mm. fresh, uh, from scratch, cranberry sauce this year. Yeah, people who do that, like, they mean well. But I fucking like the stuff in the, the can. I like it to come out like dog food. I just, for There's once in my so life, satisfying about eat... the way it comes out. It is nice. But I just want it once in my life to actually have cranberry sauce that has cranberries in it. 
I don't know, isn't that kind of like getting a, a Coke with actual cocaine in it? Like, we've moved past that as a people, Mike. Wait, that's an option? We, we've gone too far. We need to go back. I mean, it's an option oh, you to can put have... cocaine in everything. Yeah. It could be that the next 1920s in your bedroom right now. No I want 7-Up with Lawton a minute. That's what I want, goddammit. Jesus, you jumped ahead there. <laughs> this is what I want, and if I put it out on the internet, someone will make it happen. I am a customer with disposable income. If you have drugs you'd like to send to Cody out, you ship them here. This is just going to turn out me getting anthrax and not knowing what it is. Like, well, I better taste to find out. I don't know what cocaine tastes like. Oh, God, everything hurts. This must be one it... of those new drugs the Zoomers are taking. <laughs> they have probably... Must be really... called nosebleed. Zoomers probably have really cool drugs we don't know anything about. I would assume they've made cool stuff, right? But I'm hash? too old to know what Zoomers are drinking. Eh. Anyways, folks, the last drink on the list. Uh, the other one, sorry, you didn't get my reaction from it because we were still talking, but it's actually very tasty. This is legitimately a good drink. <laughs> well, Saints God. and Strangers. I would I highly recommend this. You're going to like it. Uh, also, the name. Isn't that a great name? Saints and Strangers. It sounds a little sinister. And aren't aliens really the ultimate strangers? It kind of sounds like a uh, slightly thirsty uh, early 90s Spanish soap opera. Saints Ooh. and Strangers. Damn, that sounds great. Shit, that's awesome. Uh, anyways, our dessert drink, the Grape Sour. So you're going to get a coupe glass, uh, one ounce of absinthe, an ounce of lemon juice, two dashes of orange bitters, uh, an egg white. So if you're using like liquid egg whites, that's that's like an ounce and a half of this stuff. Uh, ten green grapes, and as an optional garnish, garnish excuse me, uh, star anise. Looks beautiful, just placed on top. So one, you're going to take all the grapes, throw them in a mixing tin, and muddle them. Then you're going to add all the ingredients into the tin, except for the egg white. Add ice, shake that until it's all chilled. Double strain out uh, the liquids. You're going to toss the muddled grapes and the ice. You want the drink to go back into the shaker. You want to add the egg white. And then you want to shake that really hard. Really a lot of enthusiasm in the shaking for at least like 30 good shakes. The harder you do it, the more it's going to be kind of foamy mixture, and you're going to get a good foamy head on top of this, which is what you want. You really Are want we to still talking this. about I a cannot... drink? Yes. I okay. cannot stress how hard you need to shake this. Really go for it. Oh, uh, yeah. Anyways, yeah. Yeah. Oh, baby. Shake weight this. Once you're done, strain that into your coupe glass, and then top with the star and us. Now, did I pick this drink because it's alien green? Yes. Did I also pick it because anise sounds a lot like anus and aliens are big into anal probes? Yes. Am I shameless about this? Yes. Anyways, I've had this drink before. It's fucking delicious. Hmm. That is a good drink. I'm glad. You know, I was really hoping the third drink would just be, because you've just realized how you've spent your entire evening ever clear, because it's time to die. <laughs> Uh, you know, if I'm going to drink myself to death, I'm going to do it with uh, Papa's Pilar rum. Uh, that's like the, the Hemingway rum. <laughs> what a strange advertisement this is. No, it's very good. It's smooth, but it's still rum. So it's probably like, I don't know, 40% ABV or something like that. Uh, you, you could drink yourself to death on uh, on a full bottle or two of that. Uh, probably two. I don't know. Anyways, though, it's like the Hemingway beer so or Hemingway rum. So it makes sense if you're going to kill yourself with it. That's the one, right? Also, it's it's smooth and delicious. They're blonde rum, baby. Way to go. We're watching a movie about an alien abduction tonight. Correct. Alien abduction. I forgot the subtitle. 
Alien abduction <laughs> incident in Lake County. <laughs> or the McPherson tapes. The movie does have two production. Yes. Well, right. it has two names, and the official name that it went by during filming is now the name of the movie that it was based on. So it's it, prepare to be very confused, folks. We'll we'll try to make this make sense. We'll try. I'm sure everyone watching this has no idea what this movie even is and has never heard of it before. <laughs> and also, we're not encouraging people to pirate this film. That would be wrong. It is readily available on Vimeo. Uh, so you can you can just look that up. There's a lot of copies on YouTube and stuff. I don't think this has like an official Blu-ray release, unfortunately. Uh, I think it was on DVD once. Yeah. So I'm not encouraging anyone to pirate, but it is available online if you hunt around. And if you would like to watch it with us, uh, I think we're about ready to count things down. I've had my drinks. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Jamie, do you want to count us down into the commentary? One, two. Dun dun. In the fall of 1997, a 16-year-old boy set out to document his family's Thanksgiving dinner. What he purportedly captured on his video camera was more than just a family get-together. The following footage, if real, could be the most important evidence ever supporting the possibility that we are not alone in the universe. This footage contains explicit and frightening images. Now, for the first time ever. Watch the complete and unedited tape and decide for yourself. Alien abduction. Did it happen? Also, I like how they mention unedited because there's like three goddamn cuts of this movie. So <sighs> that, I mean, could possibly be true. Is this is this the full version? Mike, please explain the breakdown of how, how this movie exists in its various forms. Uh, Dick Clark. That explains it. Sure. What up? Also, before we get started, this is our cameraman for the entire movie, who I can't tell if he's 17 or 12. Like, he's a mutant. He's a freak. I don't know what he is, but it weirds me out. There's a suburb for that. 13 or 30. (laughs) He's from that mutant gene pool of kids we had in the 90s that were created in labs solely to star in commercials. Ah, uh, that explains his jersey shirt. Yeah, this <laughs> kid needs to be hawking gushers. They probably do. I, I don't know. I haven't seen one around lately. It's a fake turkey. Well, yeah. Anyways, folks, let's, uh, let's run some, through some movie facts here. This film, made for TV, was directed by Dean Aliotto. Uh Dean was primarily a uh, producer and director in the realm of TV, with shows like Watch Over Me and Unusual Suspects. Uh, considering his focus on TV work, I was really surprised looking through his list of credits to see he actually had a 2019 horror film come out called Portal, which seemed like it was a non-TV production. So that's fun. Gets to jump around mediums a little bit. Our screenplay is by uh, Paul Chitlick. Paul was a producer on the movie. His career has jumped over a lot of different areas from photographer to translator to journalist, playwright, author. He has done a little bit of everything during his time. Uh, I would say his most, most important thing. Oh, I was going to say the most important thing is he worked on Beyond Belief, fact or fiction, which makes him a hero <laughs> to me. <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, I was going to mention that he worked on the uh, Twilight Zone reboot from the 80s, but that's also a pretty good mark. Uh, he wrote which is a very underrated reboot. reboot. I mean, it really is. I, I revisited it a few years back. Yeah, it's it's solid. 
Yeah, so he wrote Aquavita, The Hunters, The Trunk, Strangers in Possum Meadows, Room 2426, and uh, lastly, Father and Son Game. I don't know what any of those episodes are offhand, but those are the ones he did. <laughs> Seek them out, folks. Check them out. Learn from our mistakes. Box Office Pulp says their shows. <laughs> uh, right through our cast here, we've got Christian Ayer as Tommy, uh, our cameraman. Uh, his most recent acting credit was on a film called Of Gold and God. Uh, of Golf and God? I can't remember. I didn't take good notes. In 2008. Prior to that, he had roles on various TV shows, uh, The Dead Zone, Stargate SG-1, Nothing Too Good for a Cowboy, which, honestly, I hadn't heard that last one, but uh, he's a regular player on it. Uh, and a title. voice acting job. Good title. Jillian Barber plays Mom. Uh, she's had steady TV work since the 80s, like 131 credits on IMDb, so she is just constantly in stuff. Uh, some of it's really high profile, like Supernatural, she had a recurring role, uh, The Man in the High Castle. And uh, who else do we have in here? Who else has been in different pieces? Oh, you guys will like this one. Ingrid Kevlars, uh, who plays Linda. This is of special interest to you guys. I wrote this down just for you. She played Trish in Dreamcatcher. <laughs> We've got a Dreamcatcher alumni for you. So, so she's been tied to our fates all along. <laughs> the entire time. Kind of a weird note. Uh, going through the entire cast credits, a bunch of these guys, like three or four of the main characters here, managed to get roles on Stargate SG-1. <sighs> just, just a weird little factoid. Stargate SG-1, just casting a lot of these folks. And they uh, had their foot through the door for UPN. I guess so, yeah. Our cinematographer is David Pelletier. This was edited by Scott Bloom, aired on UPN, January 18th, 1998. Yes, this found footage movie beat out the Blair Witch in concept and execution. Uh, the budget was around $1.2 million. Dean Aliotto claims they came in about a half million under that number. Uh, and as a quick reference, this movie is is based on an earlier film he had made called Alien Abduction uh, that was made for $6,500. So this was a huge leap up for him. And the runtime here, about 89 minutes, although, as I was saying before, there are several cuts of this movie. One that uh, I think was made for TV about like an hour long. This version here, like I said, 89 minutes long. And there's apparently an international cut that's about two hours long. So this has been all over the place. There's a lot of different versions of the film. I think we, we kind of discussed and couldn't find the other cuts as readily available. So this it's, might just it's be... It's difficult to find. This is this entire movie has had such a strange history, and it's still... I think Shout Factory still o technically owns the rights to it, because Dick Clark Productions still owns the rights to it. But they don't appear to have any interest in actually releasing it. The original movie yeah, it's based on was released on Blu-ray, which is insane. But this is still on pretty much left. Yeah. Released on Blu-ray under the title The McPherson Tapes, despite the fact <laughs> that the family in that one isn't named The McPherson. That's the name of this movie before UPN changed it to Alien Abduction. I really like the director explaining, well, we went with McPherson Tapes because fear is in the name. <laughs> I, I appreciate but, that yeah. play in words. <laughs> But yeah, this is, for all intents and purposes, the first modern found footage film, like immediately predating the Blair Witch Project. 
And it's one Mike and I have very fond memories of from catching it when it first aired uh, when we were kids. This scared the living shit out of us. I know it did me because it wasn't until about halfway through that I realized this wasn't real. <laughs> Same. Yeah, I've never heard of this before, so this is all brand new stuff to me. This I only know about it because you guys mentioned it about a week ago. Well, it's important to note, this is one of the very, very first uh, UPN original movies. Whenever UPN wasn't really known for that, occasionally they'd air like... Uh, like pilots they'd spent a little too much money on to let go to waste but that was about it but then out of the blue they started advertising uh the most conclusive alien abductive footage ever released like with no fanfare this was around the time like fox was doing shit like uh did we land on the moon and every channel was having its own uh cheaply produced uh, supernatural special so this seemed like it was part of part of that bunch so upn essentially war of the worlds did an entire generation who happened to be watching those two nights and, and found footage didn't really exist at the time as we know it like the closest was a, a few things like man bites dog and cannibal holocaust but i you know people always bring the, those up but i feel those are more mockumentaries I don't really consider those yeah. found footage in the same way as Blair Witch or this. And this this and its progenitor film, UFO Abduction, are like, to me, the true first found footage movies. Because they aren't even trying to do anything in regards to the genre of found footage. And it's funny to see how many staples of found footage appear here before they appeared in Blair Witch, completely independent of one another. And they just fast. really, really neat stuff. So, uh, like a minor detail, whenever the aliens are nearby, uh, you'll get static on the tape that they introduce later on as a post effect, which is just yeah. a clever little thing, a signifier. Uh, I, I think in an interview, Alito mentioned like, "Hey, this is kind of like in Jaws when you hear the note, like the the shark's theme." So that's a clever way to let people know the aliens are coming without breaking the reality of the situation. You're watching tapes. Just this, uh, even subtle things of characters cursing and they're bleeping, there's nudity that's blurred out. It, it really sold the idea this isn't something that normally should be on TV when it originally aired, and that it's different, and it's not a not a made-for-TV movie. Yeah, because like, that was the crazy thing about UPN at the time. UPN was kind of trying to beat Fox at its own game in the late 90s and be the edgiest you could possibly be on network television. So they were kind of throwing all kinds of shit at the wall at the time. So every now and then you'd get something that seemed like it was a bit too much for television like this. And uh, right now we're we're in front of the alien spaceship. Uh, one thing you pointed out earlier today, Mike, apparently the guys from the X-Files, uh, the, the effects team from that did the practical effects for this film, which kind of blew my mind. Which I, I didn't really find out until uh, tracking down some information. And so much makes sense because I've always considered like the aliens and the X-Files, aliens in this and the X-Files aliens to be kind of visually the same. I was like, oh, they're well, literally they're visually like the, the same. Well, they're supposed to be like the stereotypical grays. 
Yeah. Like this is supposed to be the stereotypical alien. Like they weren't trying to do something totally crazy. They're just, I guess I get confused because they call them the little green men, but there's also the grays, which you would think would be gray aliens. And, and the X-Files, the aesthetic of the X-Files for a lot of the non-flying saucer stuff are the spaceships are almost like very industrial and like sci-fi edge, yeah. like hard sci-fi edge outside the normal flying saucers. And this and this spaceship fits like perfectly into that realm. It's kind of a big round egg design, which I don't think you would see that in current design so much. You would get a very... I don't know, maybe a fancy spheroid kind of cigar yeah. shape in, in current movies. But back in the 90s, even this doesn't seem like the kind of design you'd expect. I would expect something maybe a little more ornate. This feels like uh, something you'd see in early 80s productions when they're talking about space. Some like black hole kind of stuff. And I always forget just how early the aliens show up in this too. Yeah, we are very early on in this movie. We're 11 minutes in, almost 12 minutes in, and we've seen the spaceship, they've encountered the aliens, and now they're going back to the house. Which, if, if I'm criticizing the film, this is kind of the point that bothers me a little bit. They see the threat, they're pretty sure they know what the threat is, then they go back to the house, and, and then they have to pretend everything's kind of normal so they can continue on with Thanksgiving dinner and not upset the rest of the family too much. Then again... We're recording this in, in November of 2020, and that's, that's kind of the feeling towards most things right now. Like, oh, let's just pretend the virus isn't really a problem. <laughs> just just go out to bars like normal. It'll make people happy. Your friends will be happy. They're going to be weird out if you don't go. So maybe 2020 maybe has right really like all thrown all movie complaints kind of out the window. Yeah, it's hard to complain about human logic when you see people behaving in just the strangest ways in, in real life when there's a real problem out there. Oh, America is a country consisting entirely of the people who die first in horror movies. <laughs> Regardless, it's still kind of bothered me because this is the point where it's like, okay, get out of the fucking house, leave. And they're all like, well, no, we got to stick around. Nothing too bad out there. You guys are pretending. And the mother's drunk. It's... It has, I appreciate the run and gun of it, but th then we, everybody just kind of sits down like nothing's going on for a while, and then it starts back Yeah, up. It's very strange. Although well, you could say, too, it's impressive that despite being kind of a siege flick where these people are trapped in the house and the aliens keep doing weird shit to them, there, there's a lot of family drama that they manage to somehow bring to the surface, even though it's not a traditional film. Like, we have the, the very racist character who doesn't like the fact that there's a black character in his house. There's the mom who has a drinking problem that gets several call-outs during the film. It almost feels a little funky when they take time to focus on family drama, but it gives it a little bit more depth than what you get otherwise. Like, it's not just pure straight action the entire movie. They take moments to slow down. Which I think is important. You'll see that in Sam Raimi movies. It's not yeah. constant shocks. You have to have a moment where people relax for a little bit. The tensions can unwind so you can build them back up. It's uh, like it's, roller coaster theory. Uh, yeah, it's not. Yeah, you know, it's not deftly handled or anything. But I appreciate the fact that they there was an effort put in to to actually do some character work. Their arts is shit, but to me that almost oh, yeah. makes it more like perfect that it's a Thanksgiving set movie. It's like yeah. everyone is a perfect like 
arch representation of a horrible Thanksgiving, including the cameraman who's the kid, just kind of like a sensitive kid who is stuck in the middle and having a complete breakdown and probably going to therapy because of these people for this particular holiday and no one really wants to be together. And there just also happens to be an alien siege going on. Plus he has a, there's like a naive aspect to him. Oh, this is my video career. Even though it doesn't seem like he fucking knows what he's doing to handle the camera to make a good video. <laughs> or there's stuff like people yell at him for being lazy. And he's like, why didn't you do this? You're supposed to do it last week. I said, I'll do it. So, you know, obviously our camera operator isn't flawless, which is nice. I mean, they give him some character considering we don't see this guy for more than a couple of minutes throughout the film. Well, I've always appreciated how this movie uses its Thanksgiving setting for more than just an excuse to have a bunch of characters in a room. Like, I like how the... uh knee-jerk distrust of outsiders plays a heavy part throughout this whole story. Again, very appropriate for uh, this holiday. Oh, yeah. So I went to allhorror.com to see what was listed as Thanksgiving horror films, because I could only think of, like, two. And they had, actually, a fairly long list. Uh, starting all the way back in 1972, there's Blood Freak, then Home Sweet Home, Blood Rage... Hostile Takeover, Intensity, Boogeyman, Seance, Thanksgiving, uh, the with an X in the middle, uh, Poultrygeist, Night of the Chicken Dead, Home Movie, Thanksgiving, Thanksgiving Three. I'm not missing Thanksgiving Two. They they made a Thanksgiving One and then a Thanksgiving Three. <laughs> Christie, Ghost Note, Holiday Hell, and most recently something called Black Friday that came out this year. So there's been a fair number of Thanksgiving horror movies. Uh, most of these I've never heard of, and a lot of them just kind of take place during Thanksgiving, but the holiday itself isn't that important to what's going on. I would argue, thematically, this one has a lot going under the surface that ties into Thanksgiving, so it counts more so than something that's just going on during the holiday. I agree. It's that and Blood Freak. <laughs> Those are the two. I'm just mad we're not watching Thanksgiving 3 right now. That one gets weird. Not that Thanksgiving 1 wasn't weird, but Thanksgiving 3 gets weird. That is a fake turkey. Also, we, we were going down the cast list earlier, and there's one thing we didn't bring up that she was just on camera a moment ago. It's weird seeing 1997 Emmanuel Shariki in this. <laughs> A couple of those folks also had roles on the Dead Zone, too. Uh, apparently, I'm assuming that was another UPN production. I believe that was, Dead uh, Zone was USA. Yeah, USA, so same difference. U UPN was long and dead by the time Dead Zone premiered. Ah, weird. It was just a coincidence, I guess. That, that, was, after, that was after UPN and, and WB combined to become the CW. The time the two fake networks joined forces to become a semi-real network. That now is just uh, the official face of the DC Universe. <laughs> it's weird to think a Arrow is technically a co-production of the WB and UPN. So back to uh, the, the idea of Thanksgiving for horror films. I'm surprised more horror movies don't go for it. 
I mean, you've got like the right atmosphere outside for it, right? It's kind of dark, gloomy, windy. You got changing colors, so it can be kind of pretty out. That all seems like it'd be a good fit for a horror film. Uh, Thanksgiving, obviously, you have a large cast of eclectic characters you can use because families are gathering together, whether they like each other or not. That all seems like it'd be a pretty good setup for any horror movie. I guess a lot of films just think, oh, we don't need to bother attaching it to a holiday. And there aren't as many specific traditions, I think, with Thanksgiving, which makes it harder to make a, a very purely Thanksgiving horror film. It's not like Halloween where you have, oh, the pumpkins have to stay lit all night. We're carving jack-o'-lanterns. We're doing this or that. Put on your costume. Or even Christmas where you have all the stuff with St. Nicholas or Krampus. I guess here it's uh, turkey and the... Uh, I don't know. Complaining about your family? Put out the cranberry sauce or else the pilgrim will get you. I mean, that should just be a horror film right there. The guy dresses up like a pilgrim and kills unthankful families. Oh, God, he looks like the uh, Quaker oatmeal dude. Horror That's all. Yeah, <laughs> I would watch that. I almost, I almost went with pun quaking in my boots, but I didn't. But now I mention it, so it's just as bad. Ugh. Plus, we have the idea in this movie of alien invaders showing up on Thanksgiving. And Thanksgiving is, is what most people would probably associate with Native Americans in this country, like holiday-wise. <sighs> So the idea that this family is sitting around minding their own business when these strangers show up and just systematically murder them without them understanding why seems pretty on the nose for an allegory about, you know, Americans discovering America and taking it away from the people who already live here. Well, there's also the guess who's coming to dinner racist brother thing going on, which while not subtle and very on the nose, does fit into the overall theme. I'm I, like Thanksgiving seems probably like the perfect setup for an alien movie. To be honest, I'm I'm really surprised yeah. this is like the only one that's done it. See, I just feel bad for the aliens because I feel like if they didn't attack first, they would have just came to dinner. Like they were bringing the cranberry sauce. So that's Mushroom where it comes stuffing. from. Cranberry sauce comes from space. I believe it. Also, it's a single I'm cell gaming. organism. T t tell, t tell me if you agree. This is one of the better directed found footage movies. Like, I've always really enjoyed the camera work in this over so many others. Oh, absolutely. It's not shaky at all. No. Uh, we don't have a bunch of shit pasted onto the screen to remind you that you're watching a found footage movie. That... <laughs> Which always drives me up the wall. As much as I love George Romero, seeing the low battery reminder appear on the footage for Diary of the Dead makes me want to scream. Like, come on! You've used a camera before, you know what they look like? I'm never sure why uh, found, so many found footage movies think that that video carries a heads-up display. I think they have to do it just because they don't trust audiences to understand. Like, they have to put the HUD in there so we always remember, like, oh, right! Oh, it's a found footage! Oh, yeah. Meanwhile, I think uh, this movie has about five seconds of people's feet, and that's it. Which is very ahead of its time, because it seemed to take uh, until, like, the 2010s for directors to remember that people actually know how to use video cameras. Right. I think in this one, like, the only moments that really stand out to me on a first viewing of the camera operating in weird ways 
is the start of the movie where the camera is just at a Dutch angle as Tommy's f- fucking with it, which is like, what did he set this camera down on that is not sitting straight? Like, if it's a table, it'd be dead on. I don't know what he put this on. Like a black. Yeah, he chair. put a beanbag chair onto his bed so he could place the camera down onto it. Yeah, it's it's one of those deals where it's like I don't understand. That happens like once or twice. It's not often, but it is still a little weird. And uh, to their credit, they don't have like a blaring score over this either, which a lot of found footage movies like to sneak in because they think it heightens the experience. Which in a traditional film, of course, yeah, you want a score. But in a found footage movie, you're going for immersion, right? So anything that breaks that immersion is just a fuck up. It never feels like an excessively quiet movie either. There's always something going on with the sound design, uh, which I really appreciate. Well, it helps there's so many people in this house are constantly kind of yelling at each other and arguing and talking over each other. So it makes it a very lively soundscape, which and makes the, the whole the layout of the house like it's just living. Like, everyone's able to move into different rooms, the camera's able to go in and out of different areas very easily. Yeah, going back to uh, the direction, I've always appreciated how at no point are you ever confused by the continuity or where characters are in a given space. I think, yeah, a lot of it does go down to uh, just the house being so big and well-connected that you can... Uh, you understand the layout so easily. And uh, they're they're very good about just making sure to have, especially in scenes like this, not a ton of uh, action in the frame, like with characters moving around and shit. Like, uh, he definitely knows when exactly to have everyone just kind of stay in place long enough for an event to play out. It's, it's, a, it's a, a, a big difference from... Uh, something even as early on like Cloverfield where uh, it is chaos, chaos, chaos in so many scenes. Well, that's probably the number one complaint against Cloverfield and its many knockoffs. The camera work is a little too frenetic and there's just so much happening on screen. It's tough to tell what was important and it's very easy to miss things because of that. Here, I mean, even though there's a lot of family members, like you said, the cameraman does a pretty good job focusing on just one at a time. And even there, we just saw the camera zooms in slightly to show you the action of the flashlight being taped to the shotgun. So little details like that, since they can't do insert shots, are still snuck in. In the, in the, original, film, the, in the original film, the director actually played the camera, the cameraman, the, the character in the film specifically, so he could be in control of <laughs> of the camera and also kind of give direction of people on the side on the side as he was operating the camera and probably from doing that learned a lot on how to how this should be properly filmed in effort to capture action you get you get a good amount of geography you get people the camera going up into people's faces for certain moments the camera never leads anybody and no one necessarily leads a camera it, yeah. it's a very very delicate kind of ballet going on with the camera work. I think that's one of the reasons it was able to trick so many people uh, just like the original did because none of this feels particularly deliberate. So uh, if you were watching this like with the sound down, not playing, paying terribly uh, close attention to like the dialogue and all, I could easily see even today somebody getting fooled by this. 
You know, honestly, more than anything else, more so than other found footage movies, this reminds me of the TV show Cops in the way it's filmed. <laughs> it really does. Yeah, yeah. it's true. It, tra it tracks action in a very similar manner. Right. And, God, I looked this up earlier, and Cops, I didn't realize this, Cops started filming in 1989. Cops That's has been on the Jesus. air for 33 seasons. And if the writer's strike uh, gave birth to it. And we got so, yeah, cops I mean, growing up, yeah, growing up, I saw a lot of cops on TV because it just played at different areas and it kind of conditions you to expect, yeah, this is what it looks like when people just grab cameras and film action. I'm so actually surprised cops up, isn't necessarily studied more by people who want to get into filming found footage films. Yeah. Because it's a great like study a tool. To go. Yeah. Well, and they do the thing that every horror movie has to do in, in found footage where you have a kind of confessional setup. So someone gets some FaceTime with the camera and gets to explain their feelings and a break from the action. Cops always does that. There's always a moment where, you know, the cameraman stops, the guy's been arrested, and they're like, okay, please explain to us what this man did and what the consequences are. And hey, if you don't feel comfortable studying footage from cops, you can just watch that X-Files Cops crossover episode. Same difference. X-Cops, yeah. best thing ever. <laughs> I like I to think... I, it, it, it was funny finding out that... Uh, the X-Files team worked on the aliens in this because this has always felt like a almost like a lost X X-Files found footage episode. Yeah, it has the tone, yeah. Cuz it has sci-fi stuff in it other than just there's some aliens out there that are going to attack you. Like it has yeah, the hallucinatory aspect is very fascinating. Yeah, and there's the poltergeist almost kind of stuff with things flying around. There's the psychic. There's the uh, the glowing light. Leads. Yeah, there's uh, all, all of them having like the, the burn mark burnt into them. You know, which is another good thing about alien movies. You don't have to really explain anything because you can write it off as well. Aliens don't know English, and they're more advanced than us, so their technology is indistinguishable from magic. So if you're doing an alien horror film, you have a lot of leeway to do weird stuff and not even take the time to say, like, here's the logic for it. Hopefully the director has some logic beyond why it's happening, but the audience doesn't have to see it explained or played out. It can just happen. And in this movie, we like we just went over it. There's a lot of weird shit that goes down and it's it's great. It keeps you guessing scene to scene what's going to happen next. You don't quite know what they're going to face. And that layer of unpredictability really helps sell the film. So uh, to quickly go down, I guess, the history of where the hell this movie even comes from, um, since we've kind of like danced around it a little bit, the, uh, the director originally made what's now referred to as the McPherson tapes, really was just called UFO Abduction. Uh, back in, what was it, 89? 89 is when it came out. It was a couple of years before that, I think, before he could finally get it out. Yeah, it was filmed pretty much in one night for nothing. Um, it, it took, it didn't take place on Thanksgiving. It took place on a little, on the little girl's uh, birthday party. This is why children can't have birthdays. It always ends up poorly for people filming. <laughs> yeah, haven't um, you seen signs? It was shot in like 8mm. It was, um, Real down and dirty, and finally was able to pick it up with a distributor 
very early on, but it was kind of a shady one, and the entire warehouse where the negative was and all the prints were burned down for what the director assumes to be insurance purposes. Well, it's funny. He tell I saw him tell a story about meeting with these guys initially, and they showed him a mock-up of the VHS cover that had all of these rave reviews from Rolling Stone and the San Francisco Chronicle, and it was like, oh my god, they said all that? Oh, oh, oh no, that's what we do here. <laughs> And he, the next time he heard from them, it was to t for them to tell him that the warehouse burned down. Oof. Man, how how mad would you be if you did something, made your mark on Hollywood or whatever area your 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 art is, and then it all burns up and you don't have the copies anymore? I think that's something we don't quite experience as much now because it's so easy to just make copies of everything that's on your laptop or your hard drive. But man, ugh. Or just think, like a few years ago, when the Universal uh, Studios had that big fire and burned up all the master tapes for uh, the the different recording studios they had stored there. Yeah. Oof. Like, oh, sorry, we lost all your master recordings. Sucks. Like the songs are still out there, but you know, if you want to do like a special edition in twenty years where you remaster it, well, good luck. You'll have to find a new tape. And UFO abduction was like just lost, lost media for years, but it turned out that a handful of mom-and-pop VHS stores had gotten preview copies, and that hit the the bootleg video scene, and an edition of the film with the beginning and end chopped out was making this the rounds damn. in the UFO community. This is where things get really interesting, because without the credits, this is filmed authentically enough where if like someone showed this to you in 1990... You, you maybe could buy into it, right? Like, there's not an internet to go and oh, debunk yeah. all this stuff. Like, you could maybe yeah, the, think, like, wow, okay, shit, wow, maybe there were really, someone made this tape, this is insane. Yeah, and the, the original film is super slimmed down, like, there's not really B-plot or anything, it's kind of just a fake alien abduction video, so this, like, this hit the UFO community like an atomic bomb, like, there was a retired u.s colonel who was like commenting on it like this several ufo researchers were holding it up as a life-altering uh piece of evidence <laughs> up until the point where they just had to call the director and see if he uh even had the rights to it so they could show it because i think like wasn't it hard copy and unsolved mysteries and encounters yeah, those those were the three that like hard copy is the one though that was somehow able to track the director down to essentially ask, is this real or not? Like your name is connected to this in some way. And that was like five years after it happened. So for like five years this was percolating and the director had no idea. He he was surprised to find out that anyone had taken this. And and honestly, he sounded like he was kind of amused in the interviews I saw. Like, if you're trying to film the perfect alien abduction video, you make your thing and it goes out in the world and five years later people actually believed it was a real alien abduction, you did a pretty good job. Yeah. He's playing at, like, the, conventions uh, and whatnot. 
What's great is he got interviewed by Encounters, like a super fucking cheesy, like fly-by-night Fox paranormal show. And years later, used the that segment as the entire pitch to do UPN for making this movie. Yeah, hearing him talk about that pitch was kind of amusing. Just going in saying, here's what we're going to do. And just showing like three minute, minutes of the original film. And them going, fuck, we've never seen that before. Yes, here's a million and a half dollars. Go nuts. Like, boy, that's what you dream about happening, isn't it? Like, that's that's a good pitch. And Dick Clark was there. <laughs> Dick, Clark, Dick Clark apparently kept one of the alien heads from this movie, which tickles <laughs> the shit out of me. All right. Okay. So right now we have one of the characters experiencing a nosebleed. And this is, I think, the strongest aspect of the movie. It moves along so fast, I don't really notice any of the cuts. So when characters are having these kind of things happen to them, it's way easier to buy. It's not like, oh, yeah, they they cut the camera so the guy could, like, apply some makeup to his face. Like, did, did they do that when the camera was focusing on someone else? Like, that guy was over there, like, applying blood. Was there a stagehand that ran in quick and did it and then ran off camera? Uh, was there just, like, a very good edit when, like, the camera panned to some darkness, they just spliced it in and I didn't notice? It's it's I'm sure it's not a super complicated task. Maybe it was very difficult to do on the day of. But it's not like you needed $300 million to do an incredible special effect to fuse all this together. And it makes it very believable for me. As I watched the movie, just all these little things happening that they didn't have time to set up clearly. It, I don't know. It just sells it way more the reality of the situation. Yeah, I, I think now nowadays yeah, but... you see a lot more hidden cuts for, for that kind of thing. Like, oh, all of a sudden the camera swipes by, like, really quickly by a pillar or something. There's a hidden cut in there for some makeup to be applied. Here it feels mostly based around staging like point the camera over here for a second quick put put some you know blood there and bring the camera back and it's completely seamless which i think sells it more you, i feel like i'm more aware of hidden cuts than unless it's something like more a non-found footage movie with hidden cuts i feel like i notice them less but found footage hidden cuts to me stand out well, well you are like, a resident found foolageologist. I know, there's just a lot of times where the camera pans into a dark corner for no reason, then back around. <laughs> yeah, or just, why did the camera whip out of nowhere? <laughs> right, yeah, like a human didn't operate that. What is happening? This is fairly smooth stuff. I mean, they could obviously hide some in there because there's so many moments where they just are looking into darkness and they could do anything they wanted to paper over that. It wouldn't be difficult. I like how the one truly like blatant cut you get in this movie is easily forgiven because it's the smartest thing any character has ever done in a found footage movie, which is take the camera that has been recording everything up until that moment and just use the video on there to show everybody what's going on. So they're immediately up to speed. <laughs> I can't I believe do... that's not a trope. Right? Yeah, I mean, because you obviously have to stop the footage for a second while the characters are viewing it. But it's like, yeah, wouldn't... everyone wants to know what's on the camera. Everyone wants to see what you saw. You have to share that experience. It reminds me, uh, like when I'm playing Dungeons & Dragons, you'll have one character that experiences something, but because everyone's sitting in the same session and hearing what that character experienced, 
everyone just assumes they also have that knowledge, which they technically don't, unless that character explicitly tells them. And most times DMs will just kind of roll with it, but there are moments where it'll be like, no, you don't know that. You heard it, but you heard that outside of the game reality, so no, you don't know that. You get that a lot of found footage. People <laughs> just kind of assume, well, the guy recording it saw it. Everyone knows what the deal is. It's like, well, no. His viewfinder saw the thing. Everyone else was maybe looking into a different direction. They don't know exactly what he saw. Yeah, it really makes you realize just how much so many uh, found footage movies rely on subjectivity. Oh, yeah. As we said before, too, this is one of the first, if not the first, found footage movies. So the fact that it nails so many of these things on the first tries. Honestly, astounding. Like, it seems like this would have been the movie to have, like, a very big score playing over it. Or, you know, just the recording symbol in the bottom corner the entire time. Stuff like that. It seems like they put a lot of thought into this. Whereas other filmmakers who were just parodying this or copying it for the gimmick didn't care so much. And just did what they felt was necessary on the day of without thinking of the larger framework of the movie. And I do like how the alien stuff like this comes in episodes. So now, like, we got the precursor before where a character's nose is bleeding. Now all of them have bleeding noses. So it's like a whole kind of kind of a, a like a set piece almost where everyone has to go through and explain this and the camera is only focusing on bleeding noses. Or when everyone has the tattoos burnt into them, that kind of stuff. Like when everyone experiences the weird phenomena at the same time. Yeah, I love how much the aliens just fuck with this family for no reason <laughs> throughout the runtime. No human reason, Jamie. Ooh. You, you and I, Jamie, are big fans of um, was it the fourth kind because yeah. the aliens as presented there are very malevolent. And here they're kind of the same, and I don't feel like malevolent aliens, at least... I mean, yes, there are obviously films with malevolent aliens all over the place, but so aggressively evil is something that I don't think is used very often, unless it's like a big action thing like Independence Day or Skyline or something like that. But even then, it, it, there's almost a logic behind it. This is just very traditional gray aliens being evil for essentially the sake of being evil. Yeah, there's something very disturbing about the concept of aliens as intergalactic serial killers that just stop by our planet to hurt and violate us, which is kind of the impression you'd get about aliens if you listen to enough uh, abduction stories. Yeah. It's very like, I think we kind of grab... Well, I think we got to gravitate to the idea, like the idea of aliens, especially the specifically the Greys, as uh, like intergalactic scientists, because that's less horrifying than the interpretation that no, they're just running all these experiments on uh, abduction victims because they want to. They're yeah. just fucking around. I, in alien invasion stuff. You know, the aliens and those things are, are obviously evil, but there's they're just aggressive. It's so big because of it being an invasion. He, here playing up just, they, they're just kind of just doing stuff. Like, they just land, they're just investigating the area and the family, essentially. 
fucking up cows. Yeah, it's like they're not like they're doing this and then probably leaving afterwards. To me, that's that that plays so much better into horror than you know a, a flat out invasion. Even even something like Signs, which is which plays the invasion very subtly, but still, ultimately, it's an alien invasion. Here, it's just one house in the middle of nowhere and just a couple aliens. I do like in this setup too. The characters spend a decent amount of time trying to escape and just being foiled. Like, the aliens are outside, they melted our batteries, everything they try and do to get away just seems like it's not going to work. So they really do have to spend the night in the house. It's it's very Although nice living dead in that way. Yeah, but there's a hopelessness here too, because it's not like things will be better in the morning. Like it's, they don't have the expectation the aliens are going to go away. Plus, I mean, with, with uh, Night of the Living Dead... The zombies are very slow, and it really comes down to the problem wasn't the zombies, it was the fact that the human beings in the house couldn't get their shit together enough to work together and solve the problem. Here, it's like, well, yeah, even if these guys cooperate, these aliens are in such a different league, they're probably still fucked. Like, there's just such a hopelessness going throughout this movie, <laughs> because you know they can't comprehend the situation, they don't really have the means to defeat the aliens, you maybe get a few bright spots where they, they kill the one and they lock it up upstairs, but even then, later on, they go upstairs and the alien's gone. So these guys really are just panicking the entire time. They realize it's it's pretty much all hopeless. Even survival seems very questionable unless the aliens get bored and move on, which they could because they don't understand what's killing them. That's why I love that the aliens show up so early on, and you see them at the window almost immediately. And it establishes right out the gate that yeah, you know, this isn't a a matter of them them preventing the aliens from getting in the house or finding some way to stop them. Like they're they're fucked from moment one. Plus, they don't go the psychological route, which a lot of alien films seem to do. A lot, of, a lot of alien films seem to raise the question of, are these people crazy? Are they imagining the alien? Is the alien really there? This one, it's like, no, it's, it's pretty obvious. There are extraterrestrials, and they are going to cause a lot of nightmares. And they have guns. <laughs> I love That's how the, the aliens have guns. <laughs> they have little Lugers. <laughs> Nazi aliens? We should have known. Why have why haven't I want to see a movie where it's aliens on like Venus or something and fucking Nazis land. And it's a reverse <laughs> invasion, it's fucking Nazis. Aliens versus Nazis. That is a uh, that's a golden premise there. Versus gorillas. I don't know why we can work gorillas. Can we work gorillas in there? Gorillas the on the moon. Mic? They're very temperamental. I don't think we can afford a gorilla in the budget. I am still convinced that uh, Lizzie Kaplan getting in si getting sick and having her head explode in Cloverfield is a direct reference to this plot line with Emmanuel Shariki. I could definitely see that. We know that the makers of Cloverfield were fans of this. And watched it, I think, in preparation. So, uh, I buy it. Makes a certain amount of sense. I mean, that really... Her death in that movie really feels like it comes out of nowhere. 
that seems like a thing they should have used for like several different moments in that film, but Cloverfield leaves it on the sidelines pretty much as soon as she explodes. Yeah, if Which only happens, there were you know, if someone's head explodes, it's just something that happens. You know, you just move on. That's it. That's how it's I like do it in my life. people catch on fire. <laughs> oh, not again. Moving on. Damn that spontaneous combustion. So you're gonna have to remind me. I'm not as familiar with this movie as you guys are, uh, as you guys are. Is that the last time we see those characters when they walk out of the house? Um, I believe if, yeah. if that isn't it, we're pretty close to it. Yeah. Which is kind no, of yeah, yeah, I believe so because yeah, we're just yeah. I think we're just with the family for the rest of this. Yeah, I mean that's more of a them, Blair like, Witch I, kind of move. I'm sure they'll come back. Yeah, that's that's kind of a Blair Witch move where the characters disappear. We don't see what happens to them, but we know they didn't make it. Blur Witch kind of had that thing too, where characters would disappear, uh, and maybe the most you get is. Why is this guy standing in the corner? Oh, the movie's over. Which, love honestly, it. I love it because in a found footage movie, you shouldn't have a majority of the answers. Like, you only have, as Jamie said, the subjective view of the camera, and that's all you get. You have to infer everything else. So I, I like the idea that characters can walk off screen and vanish from the film, and you never know anymore. Like, it doesn't matter. There could be an explanation for it. They could find the bodies. The police could two days later, but that's not going to be part of the footage. So you don't get those answers. Yeah, it's it's such an excuse to uh, leave so much to the imagination. It's one of the things that I think is really uh, one of the strengths of the found footage subgenre. One of the things that uh, really makes it distinct and you know not not the gimmick that a lot of people decry it as. Like you have so many opportunities for cool bits of storytelling there, especially with horror. For sure. Plus, you can get away with not showing the threat as much. Uh, like earlier when they, you know, they had the alien upstairs and the camera doesn't really get a good look at it. In a normal movie, you'd be pissed. Like, God damn it, they didn't have money for a monster, so they didn't show it. In this movie, it's like, oh, well, that's a creative choice. They couldn't get the camera into the room to show the alien. It, it makes some amount of sense with the logic of the filming style. I don't know. I appreciate that. I, I like those kind of little things, and they can get away with more in a found footage movie than they can with a traditional narrative where you know the director could really do whatever he wanted with the camera. He could, he could do an insert shot. He could do a, a far away shot. He could do whatever he wanted to show you what he needed to communicate. And, and, and something's footage, missing is because he just didn't. And found footage cheapness builds tension. Yeah. Very true. I did love uh, reading interviews with the director, how he talks about how difficult it was to get cast to do a footage movie like this. Because one, they didn't have anything to you know reflect on. They couldn't say, oh, go watch the Blair Witch Project and do it like that. This is a new format, and actors are being told, okay, we need you to constantly turn your back to the camera. You can't act to the camera, and if you do, it's going to seem unnatural. Like, I, even me, I have super limited acting experience. I was Bilbo Baggins in a community theater production of The Hobbit when I was a kid. <laughs> and even then, even in that limited capacity, the director drilled into me, never turn your back on the audience. It's bad form. Never turn your back on the audience. You're always acting to the audience, and they want to see your face. So to go to actual actors who have, like, professionally trained for this and tell them, like, eh, fuck all that. Say your lines over the next actor's lines, mumble them so he can't hear them, uh, turn away from the camera, walk away from the camera, 
It's like, what are we doing? This isn't right. I can't imagine the amount of deprogramming you'd have to do on an actor to get them to give an unnatural, natural performance. I mean, that's an experimental play from the Haight Ashbury district in 1967. I don't know. TV actors, too. (laughs) Right, yeah. And that's even worse because as a TV actor, one, they weren't prepared to do any nudity. They weren't prepared to do any swearing. Uh, in, In one of the interviews I found, the director talked about how he couldn't hire an actor who was otherwise great because he kept saying freaking during his audition instead of fucking this or bullshit that. Like he just, as a, as a TV actor, he'd been drilled to never swear on camera because they couldn't use your take. Back in the 90s, you can't swear on TV, not a network. So there's so many weird things actors have to learn to undo to be in these movies to give what is ironically a natural performance, which feels like anything but for them who have learned all these years not to do it that way to give a realistic performance. Yeah, that's that's one of my favorite things about any sort of found footage movie or mockumentary is is trying to capture people acting like real people because it's got to be such a challenge for actors to not use any of the tips they've learned to look like not bad actors and still come off as good actors like fuck i wouldn't want to do that i'd be overthinking the entire thing i could never get a line out if i was trying to do one of these movies i would just look so stilted oh yeah it's a style of acting that's super underrated i can't imagine what goes into that also, uh, to change gears for a moment, just because I want to talk about this before we get too far away from it. That little girl playing piano music we can't hear is the scariest fucking thing in found footage movie history. <laughs> Mate, I kinda, I've kind of missed some of the connections on what her deal was. Because there's a moment in the film where she unloads the shotgun. Oh, goddammit, we see the low battery recording on the tape. Urgh! Um... Yeah, we see the little girl unload the shotgun. She talks about how the aliens aren't there to hurt them, which seems like a lie. What What's going on with the little girl? Does anyone understand this plot point better than me and can explain it? Psychic control. Is that is that what it comes down to? It's just like the aliens have done a possession? Yeah, and she's, uh, because she's a child, just there is an easier time connecting to her, controlling her, essentially. Yeah, you see, there you see like, earlier in the film... She says, now let's all go downstairs, and they just kind of shrug and go, yeah, let's let's do what Rosie says. Let's all go downstairs. Like, they're able, there's a bit of, um, like, corralling as if they're cattle going on. I remember in the, like, early days of discussion about this movie, like, on the internet, when there was a lot of debate on uh, whether or not it was real, uh... There was a fan theory that was pretty prevalent that uh, she was an alien-human hybrid, and this was was an an elaborate smoke scheme for one of the aliens to abduct uh, this uh, child that they'd put on the Earth, solely because of how oddly large the child's eyes are in the headshot (laughs) they use for the last shot. Oh, she's a monster. In this movie shot on, like, VHS tape, so everything's murky. I'm still, I am still convinced they made her eyes slightly larger with airbrush for that last shot. Although they, they uh, did uh, reduce as much subtlety as human po- humanly possible in the reissue of this, so uh, maybe that was something uh, that, that was more present in that one. 
Because I don't think we've talked about that. Like we've talked about uh, the full cut and the cut that was aired, but there was a second cut that was released later that week because the first cut of this was so it's like such a fucking huge hit. Like this pulled out the best numbers UPN had. But the second cut was the funniest thing I've ever seen. Uh, where like there was a lot of uh, CGI placed in. Because there was a pair, like the uh, kayfabe for it was they had ran the footage through special computers at UPN, which had uncovered uh, light spectrums that were not previously visible. So... Things like the uh, red light bouncing around is suddenly like a CGI blob now. And there are lots of flashing lights and lasers zapping uh, the characters that they're not reacting to. Speaking of not reacting... <laughs> <laughs> Uh, we're all just wrapped up in watching Emmanuel Shariki passing away. The saddest thing in the world. Uh, for the last time. It should be said that be between the this movie filming and this movie premiering, UPN changed hands, executive-wise, and the new regime fucking hated this thing with a deep, deep passion. Which yeah, that I was... can understand. I mean, you got to think, like, this is a new style of show, so why should they like it? Like, it would go against tradition, so of course you're going to be like, ah, this is weird. Plus, if it does well, that means the guys they replaced might have actually known what they were doing, and that hurts their credentials. So, like, you, That you just seemed to be the sticking everything. point when this was really popular. Yeah, the, uh, the, uh, then, yeah, the dude who took over UPN after the shakeup was so angry that this made money that he vowed to never air it again. <laughs> so after those first two airings, this just disappeared, which is one of the reasons it became uh, like such a cult hit. Just people on the internet trading ghost stories about it. This traumatized an entire generation of children. Oh, the only way, before YouTube, the only way to find this was like LimeWire and like real video player files you have to like search or apparently on conspiracy conventions yeah that because that, that that's another weird rabbit hole related to this movie like people thought that ufo abduction was real for a time even after it was proven to be just a film people thought the same thing about this <laughs> for, like, a wide variety of reasons. Like, some people just took it at face value. Some people heard that it was a remake of UFO abduction and thought that this was a dramatization of real events and that, the that made the original movie real. People thought that the director was a government agent who made this movie to as disinformation so that no one would search for the real McPherson family. There should be an entire college course dedicated to studying the fallout from projects like this, where something clearly, clearly fiction has entered the market and people have decided, no, this is real. And if anyone tells me otherwise, it's conspiracy and they're against me. The Wells effect. Doesn't that There's make you mad, so much... though, that, like, this dude hasn't had, like, 
more of like a substantial career. He made something so realistic twice. <laughs> That's hard to do. I don't understand oh, why this guy didn't have like 10 different like found footage movies back in the, the post Cloverfield boom. Why not? He's the granddaddy of it. Obviously he still knows what he's doing. Just like hire this guy, have him go out with a DV camera and just film some shit. The Blair Witch guys are still making. Uh, they're like, they're, hell, they were. They had a segment on VHS too. Pretty good one too. Enjoyed that. I eat. It reminds me a lot of uh, the Conran brothers, the guys who did Sky Captain in the World of Tomorrow. I mean, they changed the way movies were made and got nothing out of it. This guy, <laughs> as a reward, gave us found. <laughs> much uh, this guy cr- essentially created found footage as we know it and this movie doesn't even have a blu-ray release yeah but the original does which is insane <laughs> well he owns the rights to the original so I-, I can see him releasing that uh it's very weird to me that like scream factory has direct line of rights to this and they haven't put it out <laughs> what the fuck you guys <laughs> The Shout Factory has specifically said they have they've told the director they currently are not sure if there is a want for it, which hopefully will will, that story will change uh, with McPherson tapes circulating now on Blu-ray. They recently put out Crab People like they put out all sorts of things only eight people like utter glob of crap Shout Factory puts out. They put out Attack of the Puppet People. Like, I don't understand what their quality standards are. You can really release anything. People will buy it in the horror community. And hey, their uh, reissue of the Poughkeepsie tapes did well. Uh, It's cut from the same cloth as this. It's a fair point. I don't think I would ever in my mind associate the two, but okay. Yeah, I can can see where you're coming from. (laughs) Oh, hey, Poughkeepsie tapes is a goddamn masterpiece. That's a whole different thing, though. Can we do commentary for Gipsy Tips? Again. Mike, I How's feel like doing? if we did the Gipsy Tips, you would just show up at my house just as, as a contortionist and murder me with knife fingers. <laughs> just just walking like around on all fours with a mask on the top of my head. I'm very concerned that would happen. I live on the third floor of my apartment. You would find a way to scale the walls and invade my home and, and kidnap me. I don't God, want I'd be that so happen. out of breath by the time I got there. Oh, I would hope. Your name is Slave, Cody. Oh, I don't like it. Anyway. (laughs) (laughs) There there is something so disturbing about the house being lit after all this time. In a movie that's mostly darkness, this is so unsettling. Well, it's a nice touch that they kill the power very early in the film. So that the whole thing has to be lit with candles. Because one, it adds like a, a subtle movement to every scene as the light flickers in and out. But you also don't have perfect coverage. Which is a good way to make your film look like it's overly produced if there's studio lighting everywhere. This, uh, this gives it kind of a hint that it's a little more homemade when you don't see perfect lighting everywhere. There's no fill lights or anything. And they kind of back it down just being the candlelights. Obviously, there it's it's not just candlelights, and uh, the camera on the or the light on the camera wouldn't be that powerful. But you can buy into it pretty easy. 
some trickery going on. It, it's impressive, though, that it, there's no obvious trickery, and they also haven't filled the house with a ridiculous amount of candles. That's a movie thing that always annoys me. Whenever a pow power goes out, there's suddenly 500 ca candles in every room. I mean, oh, there's a good number of cameras or candles in this house. Yeah, but you're not vacationing at Lord Byron's all of a sudden. True. This just makes me realize I don't own a single candle. I should I should uh, pick up a candle next time I you go to the store. You should definitely own a candle. They come in handy. That was What are you going to do next hurricane season, Cody? I, I live in Wisconsin. We're very far away from hurricanes. That's what you think. Oh, Have you God, heard stealth. of global warming? Climate change. That's, I live in the perfect space for this. Wear a goddamn mask, Cody. <laughs> no, I'm an idiot and I do what I want. So, one thing, we, we kind of glance past this idea. This movie really works probably because it's filmed on video. You know, it's it's not super, super high def. So you can hide a lot of stuff, and some of the flaws of the recording actually allow them to get away with more things. If you were to make this movie now and set it in the current year, 2020, you would have to assume they're recording on, like, a cell phone camera or something that's capable of filming in actual high def, which makes all this so much more complicated. If you were doing this movie now, you couldn't just remake it. You'd actually have to change so many different aspects to make it work properly, which is kind of fascinating to me. You would assume a found footage movie would always be the same for the ages, but it needs to change with the technology present. And a high def version of this would actually probably be terrible because it'd be very obvious when they stop filming for cuts because you can't just hide things in like Merc or Crush or Compression or anything like that. You would oh, have cell phones to film in 4K. Right. Really ruined see... found footage. Yeah, you'd be able to see the very aliens very clearly and be like, oh, that's a guy in a suit. Like, there's so many things that wouldn't work on a proper recording uh, of like, you know, high-end material right now. Even stuff like them not being able to get help You'd have to go so much further in explaining it just because we have so many ways now where a cell phone can contact help or, you know, put an emergency signal out. My God, the aliens turned all your cell phones into carrots. Right, like, even if they took the power down, they'd have to, like, oh, they also took down the cell networks and be like, well, yeah, but you still make 911 calls. Well, those don't work either! Like, you have to go through a couple of extra hoops, and at that point, the audience is rolling their eyes to say, no, it's just an excuse. That's why all found footage movies should just star the Amish. <laughs> oh, that'd be horrifying. They you know, don't even like the camera being in there. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, what I want to see is a found footage movie about the Amish. I'd love to touch, uh, just to just go back to what we saw. <laughs> well, one, one. I was running with a fucking wine glass. <laughs> it's so great. Uh, two. <laughs> two. That's the you, shotgun. Cody. That's you. Not only is, uh, man, I was so disappointed. I had people over a couple of weeks ago and we had some wine and they're like, hey, do you have any glasses? And I, I drunkenly walked around my house like, yeah, I've got wine glasses. I had bought martini glasses and forgot I didn't have wine glasses, but I thought I had them. <laughs> so I wasted like five minutes of my life promising them wine glasses when I did not have any. I had champagne flutes. I had Pilsner glasses. You name champagne it, I had it for flutes. wine glasses. Uh, you, anyways, can, you can drink wine out of a martini glass. You can learn. Wait, that's uh, you can. I don't know enough about wine to say why that's. You can wrong, drink wine out of like any wrong. glass. Just to let you know. 
You can, but there's reasons why different glassware exists. It affects the taste. It uh, doesn't. That's it a doesn't. complete That's just misnomer. pretentious wine garbage. I feel like that's wrong, but I don't know about enough about wine to argue it. To go back everything to most mind. people know about wine is wrong. Oh. Uh, what you were saying, Cody? To go back to the shotguns, we see the shotguns, and it, it, well, the one shotgun, and it's mangled, like the the barrel is messed up. But it's not just discarded; it's not just laying on the ground. It is carefully placed on the porch, which is the most disturbing aspect. Yeah. Not only was it destroyed, it was carefully returned to a spot where it could be rested. Yeah, again, it, that's the moment where you realize truly, like, oh, they are absolutely just fucking with them. This has no purpose. Right, yeah, it wasn't like they just murdered this guy and ran off. Like, they, they killed this guy and either placed it there carefully, or they possessed the man's mind to, like, have him put the shotgun down as he would before abducting him. You don't know, which, again, is perfect. They found There's a shotgun again. It's found footage, so you never get to learn more. You don't get to see what happens off screen. You have to make up your own theories, which is a lot of fun. And more unsettling. It really is. It's a theater of the mind. I don't feel like her neckerchief is taking the situation very seriously. <laughs> you would probably say the same thing about Scooby-Doo every time Fred runs around. Yeah, that's an ascot. That's different. Oh, that's different. Those could take it very casually. <laughs> yeah. I, I am so impressed with how much mileage they get out of just having the red light stand in for the aliens. Well, like we said before, okay, so uh, the aliens have the signifier of the, the scattered camera, you know, the, the interference, but just having the signifier of the red light does the same thing, too. You can see the fin off in the distance of the waters. It's a great touch. Like, you can get away with so much more that way. Because, honestly, the red light is more effective to me than seeing a, a four-foot-tall person running around in a rubber alien mask. Oh, it's astonishing just how little you actually see the aliens when all is said and done. It's like five seconds. <laughs> Plus, it feels like in a normal movie, if they were to do the upstairs scene where they don't show the alien corpse, you have to go, oh, that's because it's the third act reveal. They're going to show this alien all its glory like two minutes before the movie ends, they're going to have that very explicit shot of the full alien. Think of like every Friday the 13th where they take off Jason's mask. Like there's always that build up before you see his naked face. There is the and shot this one... with um, the kid turn, turns around the aliens behind the door. He just grabs the camera hmm. for a minute. Yeah, but I don't even think that's as explicit. No, it's not. That's as, that's as explicit I... as it gets. And that, even that's just short. Yeah, yeah in I think normal the, uh, film, it feels... Sorry, go ahead. I was say, I think the saucer scene at the very beginning is the longest you get to look at any of them. Yeah, probably. It goes against expectations. It's a Chekhov's gun thing where you assume, oh, if they don't show the alien in the first act, they have to do a very explicit shot in the third act so we know exactly what it looks like. And here it's like, nah. I mean, we kind of showed it to you in the first act. It gets more mysterious somehow from there, which doesn't seem possible because... You'd assume the more runtime, the more things are explained. Like, it's hard to get less explained <laughs> as they go through. But kudos to these guys. I don't understand shit about these aliens. Like, I don't really know what the capabilities of their species are. I don't know what they really can do, what they look like, what they're after. It's all one big question mark at the end. The only thing I've learned is aliens, don't trust them. They'll abduct you, your family, and ruin the turkey. 
They'll fuck up your slumber party. Also that. Yeah, I guess I learned that from VHS 2. Yeah, Which I still say is one long fact. reference to this. So I was going to say, like, there, there's no way that, uh, that this movie was not exactly what they were going for when they did Slumber Party Alien Abduction. <laughs> I'm God, still no, convinced, tell it's me where be. your dad, I'm convinced, tell me where your dad takes, uh, keeps the gun as a reference to a specific line from this movie. I wouldn't be surprised. All this, this just makes me really want to re- go and rewatch the VHS movies. Do it. We should. I should. I have nothing better to do with my life. I've got so many Hammer films to go through, guys. I can't take the time. I do wish we were watching the longer version, though. But so the longer version, the one with all the interviews interspersed, right? That's that's what pads it out. Yeah, and there, there's some uh, additional footage in there too. But I see. I think feel like the interviews would ruin it, even if it makes more sense. Because who in their right mind would pick up a bunch of found footage? Edit it together, and then just put it out there without context. It does. It doesn't work as well, in my opinion. But I, I like some of the additional footage in the actual film itself. Yeah, I mean, in a found footage film, I don't think you can <laughs> follow the logic all the way to its end path because it falls apart. Otherwise, it'd be like, okay, here's you end up with a mockumentary where they spend a half hour being like, "This is what happened." Here's what we know. They show the footage, and then they spend an hour breaking down what was in the footage. Instead, you have a, a kind of rough narrative put together with the found footage footage, and that's all they leave you with, which is more convincing, more scary. It doesn't feel as fake when they cut realities to show you people explaining and talking about it, which is, I mean, what would happen? If you found the Blair Witch footage, you wouldn't just put that out together in a format and call it fine. You would have talking heads all over it explaining the context and what happened afterwards. Yeah. That's what that's why Creep's the only movie that's ever pulled that off. Are we supposed to be getting a Creep 3? I always forget if they decide to make another one of those or not. I believe so. At some point. Butterfly Kisses does a really good job of that as well. It's almost a shame. I think Creep 2 ended on a pretty good note. Like that was a that was a decent ending. Oh, I love Creep 2. I want to see yeah. a Creep movie it's... filmed during coronavirus. I feel like that character would kind of thrive during COVID and isolation. Just making people uncomfortable by getting a little too close to him and just slowly pulling his mask down. Uh, I think he opened an Etsy store, but for like murder. Uh, (laughs) Mike, that idea is fresh. You can just have that one. You made it. It's yours. Hey, give me money. Send your money to Mike Napier, care of Box Office Pulp. Just <laughs> everyone waiting send for me a you dollar. To list your address, so the money would go to you first, and you would promise to give it to Mike. <laughs> I have a PO oh, box. And now we've reached the point where the mob's gone insane. It's just like everyone have dinner. Just please eat a roll. Is that everyone just a glass bowl filled with carrots? Dinner. I think it is. I was just thinking that too. Like, what the fuck is that? Carrots. Ah, oh, fucking white people. I mean, okay, so I don't think a lot of families do this, but in my family, we have orange jello every Thanksgiving. My That's grandma makes it. She knows, she knows I like fuck? it. So it's orange jello with slices of oranges, you know, in it, suspended in it. Uh, I liked it as a kid, so she makes it every year because she knows I like it, and I still like it. So it's exciting. But that's a dessert. Those were clearly carrots, and that's fucking wrong. 
I've never been to a, any holiday dinner where someone just put a bowl of carrots out. I love carrots, but just a giant bowl of carrots seems very odd. Nah, how maybe, many carrots unless are it's you in a tray. If it's in a tray, sure, but then you have yeah, to have, sure. have other veggies in there. But right, yeah, there's a dip. Yeah, I don't see any ranch on that table. What the fuck are you gonna dip it in? Yeah, I don't trust where, this. this is weird. Where's the raw broccoli and celery and shit? Yeah, I want some pepper. So like some red peppers. You know, I'm oh. gonna come out and say it. I'm glad they got abducted. I hope we never find them. These are also is this hey, um, it's Robert our cameraman. He looks like yeah, a I was small more Robert of a, uh, I was getting more bit. of a Justin Tw- Chatwin vibe from him. His a forehead's bit. taller than Pattinson's. He's got a tall forehead. I, I don't know why I'm making fun of this man's appearance. He's more handsome than I am. <laughs> uh, I don't feel so good, Mr. Stark. So this is another thing the movie kind of invented, the idea of a confessional segment, which in reality TV, you would see this constantly if you're doing, you know, like a, a, any sort of the MTV show where they would just follow people around in their real life. Which is great because you get some character emotion. You can actually get the guy who's been operating the camera as a real character again. And you can do something closer to what you would expect in a real narrative as compared to a found footage narrative where everyone's just kind of reacting all the time. So I like these. It, it kind of takes you out of the moment, but it slows things down and allows the emotions to hit a little stronger. And then you can launch back into, oh, God, everything's awful. And it's something virtually every found footage movie would imitate after this. Are we going to have the face reveal in the last few minutes? Yeah, well, unless you're doing, like, HUD. HUD got a couple in the start of Cloverfield, and then we just saw his legs at the very end. Hey, he got that one second. You're seeing this, I didn't make it. And then you laugh, because, like, ah, ha, ha, he's a funny person. Ah, 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 ah. I normally laugh during movies. (laughs) Some of his brain's missing, it's sad. (laughs) <laughs> that's how i normally laugh during not movies <laughs> you know what stop the commentary oh i can't jamie this train can't stop rolling and what's, what's funny the... about this confessional scene too is it's absolutely last minute just to pat out the running time and it's now oh, a entirely. staple <laughs> so apparently when they went to film this they they did like a Oh, they didn't actually film, but they went through and they acted the movie out just to get an idea of how long it would take. So they would know, you know, if they have to pad it or shorten it. They had a 90 page script, a normal script, one page equals one minute of film time. This came out to 45 minutes with a 90 page script. So they panicked and they realized they had to pad this out. So they they went back and basically wrote a secondary script to merge into the first script just to make sure there was enough material (laughs) to go the entire movie, which is a very unique situation to be in, I'm sure. Hey, you filmed it once, or you wrote it once. What if you wrote it a second time? It's just as long. Yeah, now I get to an iconic final shot. Like, there's something about the way this is staged that has stayed with me for over 20 years. It still throws me off, though, because the camera's at a Dutch angle. Like, why did he set the goddamn camera on? (laughs) What? Was there the a bread? cheese? The bread? What happened? It's on a single on butter knife. Well, the thing is, like, the actor actually put the camera down and walked into frame. So, like, they very intentionally wanted this shot. 
So they knew when he was setting it down, it had to go onto something. I don't think he, like he was filming this on a real mini camera or anything. They they probably look, had like a real camera. Intended. Look, I am never going to argue with the Deutsch angle. I love them. <laughs> they need to be more things. I don't care if it makes sense. It doesn't make sense. Whatever. Just give it to me. Mike, just go was... watch a bunch of shit from the forties. You'll be you'll you'll be in heaven. I do, and it's great. <laughs> The further you stray from the 40s, the worse things get. <laughs> you walk around a day, you don't even know if somebody's a Batman villain or not. I, I just, I just, me watching modern movies, like, well, everyone's hats are disappearing and the camera's straightening itself out. <laughs> I like how that's your problem with modern movies. These people aren't wearing enough hats. Where are their layers? Why is we everyone wearing a vest? We should bring back hats and layers. Layers are important. Too many people are wearing just shirts. Mike, I, I, I look ugly as shit just wearing t-shirts. But I'm going to keep wearing them because they're comfy. And society's made that okay. Would I be more handsome in the 20s? Undoubtedly. Would I be as comfortable? No. Well, and I, I said it once and I'll say it again. All body stockings for me. I want like a neck to toe girdle. If someone can make a sexy version of that, please let me know. Also, to, to go back to the confessional, one of the reasons why I think it's so essential is because these found footage films operate on a paradox where the character you're closest to, literally closest to, has to be the cameraman, who is a real character in all these movies. But you never get to see him. You just hear his kind of voice narrating of essentially what happens but he doesn't get to interact as much because he is capturing the moment so the confessional allows that character to step in front of the camera and actually get to play a part in the movie kind of becoming not the greek chorus anymore stepping out and becoming the character so it feels like an essential ingredient even if it is a little forced and a little weird but if you don't have that then it feels like okay why the fuck was this guy talking to me the whole time who was he why do i care about him and found footage films operate on tragedy. They're found, so you know the person who made it didn't survive. So going into one of these films, you have to know things are not going to end on a happy note. So you got to care about the main character a little bit. Saying that, HUD is still the greatest cameraman. Again, with the weird found footage thing, there's a little bit of editorializing going here where they show pictures of the family afterwards. So someone had to take the time to assemble this footage going by the in-universe logic, or at least play it out the way it was reported, and then do this on top. But they don't give us any additional information like, we found bodies, we didn't find bodies, the house was burned down, the house wasn't burned down. <laughs> All the stuff you would expect in a normal Unsolved Mysteries episode. The aliens yeah, uh, cleaned I'll... everything. <laughs> yeah, I guess that's one of the reasons why I, it would be cool if they if there was some kind of master cut that still kept in some of the stuff uh, from the TV airing, like the epilogue and things like that. I think in more found footage movies, an epilogue would be useful to pad out the logic. But again, I mean, you saw what you wanted to see. Anything after that is just world building and mythology lore, which. The fun of these movies is building out yourself, so you don't truly want them explained. If I remember correctly, at the end of the original airing, they did have a toll-free number you could call if you had evidence yeah. about the disappearance it's of the It's very McPherson's. involved, yeah. I really wish I, 
I should say, at the time of recording, I um, just that longer version is not currently online. It just it's a crapshoot. Whenever you go to look for it, it's essentially what's still up and what isn't. That's why a an actual release of it with all the different versions would be very nice. Oh yeah. One last thing. I mean, the movie is over. Uh, but one last thing. <laughs> Have you guys seen the cover art on IMDb for this movie? <laughs> oh, it's fantastic. If you go to Alien Abduction Incident in Lake County on IMDb, <laughs> you, would, you would assume this is some sort of comic book series that has been filmed. There's, there's just two skinny gray aliens, cartoon aliens, on a grassy knoll with a gigantic moon behind them. <laughs> and it's, that's it. It's like, I want to watch that, like but it's movie. movie. It betrays everything that really the movie is. Like, this is the worst. Someone slapped this together in two minutes just so it had a cover. It reminds me of the Roswell Chronicles. Remember that cartoon? No. Oh, God. I about I th- that, that cartoon yeah. was the shit. It was awesome. But I, it, it reminds me of that. Uh, I haven't seen it, Mike, so it's... I'll trust you on it. Oh, you know, it's homework, folks at home. Watch That's what the show has always been about. 90s. Go find something from the 40s with Dutch angles. Go find that a too. tilted camera. Go find a People camera that's ran weird taxes. back then. It was... They run weird now, Mike. Have you seen a football game? I have. I have. You ever see a quarterback run for a first down? They don't run I tr- normal. I, you know what? I try to avoid even witnessing running because it makes me sad because I, I, I can't run. I realized at one point in my life, as an adult, like, I might never have to run again. Like, I live in a pretty safe area. It's very, I don't have lovers that are, like, taking trains out of the country. Like, I don't, I don't have to run for anything anymore. And I might never have to run. Everybody runs, have... Cody. Everybody no. runs. Everybody, they say that, but I don't think it's true. I don't know if I'll ever have to jump again, either. There's a lot of stuff in my life where I hit 30, I'm like, I might just be done with that. I might never have to do it again. Guy, you are really pulling for this whole climate change thing to just work itself out, aren't you? I didn't say I'd never have to. You're swim eventually going to have to run from CGI wolves on a ship that's been accidentally docked due to global warming, freezing New York in the middle of Manhattan. Mike, you assume I would run. Are you going to save Emmy Rossum's life, Cody? No, that's not my job. I die way before that. I am much more. Oh, this looks hopeless. Hold on, let me turn around and put my arms out and sacrifice myself to the oncoming wave of evil. Day after tomorrow, wave of not evil. if I have anything to do with it. I assume the wave will be evil that kills us, uh, global or not. Could be, it could be a pack of Draculae, it could be a bunch of werewolves. No, no, climate change is not going to send a giant World War Z-esque wave of Draculae, at, like, storming at you. I kind of hope. Like that'd be way better. Would it be all? The, would it be all the same Dracula, or be all different Dracula? What's my budget? Six is million. A budget now? Well, I'm just saying, if I have a lot of money, they'll all be modeled differently. If I don't have a lot of money, we're just gonna make one base model Dracula and then just copy paste. They're all the Dracula from Van Helsing. Oh boy! Oh yeah, boy! Yeah, deal with that, motherfucker. Hmm. Well, luckily, happy Thanksgiving, everybody. <laughs> I finished my last drink, so I now have this metal ice pick I can just jam into my brain and lobotomize myself. Folks at home, thank you so much for listening to Box Office Pulp. I don't have a finisher. I'm just going to kill myself with an ice pick. Uh, If you want to listen to more of this show, 
You can find us on boxofficepulp.com. You can find us on iTunes. We are on Stitcher. We're even on Facebook. We're on uh, Twitter at Box Office Pulp. Check us out. We would love to hear your feedback. Uh, give us star ratings, please. We, we like hearing feedback. It really is the only thing that keeps us from killing ourselves with tiny ice picks. Even if you want to yell at us. Actually, especially no, if you I want don't... to yell at us. I don't like we those as much. I, don't, I have very thin skin. Oh. That's, That's why you're that other Jake Gyllenhaal ch- character who's in a bubble. <laughs> the bubble boy? That's a Mike, if they want to see you uh, scream about horror movies somewhere else, is there somewhere they can check you out? You've been cheating on us? I'm always cheating on you. Check out HorrorMoviesHub.com and follow me on Twitter at LuckyDuckNapier. Cross promotion. Cross promotion. (laughs) I forgot we have to promote your shit now that you're back. Ah, Terrible. Ah, Terrible. That was too many ha's. Just you got to move into the crying so much faster. Thank you. There we go. Anyways, folks, thank you so much for joining us. This has been Box Office Pulp. Get the hell out of here. Wear a mask. (laughs) You get more out of life when you go out to a movie. Please remember to replace the speaker on the post when you leave the theater. No, for real, wear a mask, you piece of shit. This is Box Office Pulp Guy, and this has been a Pulp Podcast production. Now please, 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 put a gun in my mouth and pull the trigger and say goodnight. And now, on with the show.